Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your host, Simon. I'm here, one of my writers. In this case, Katie. Thank you, Katie. Has written me a script, The Dybuk Box investigating the curse object that inspired the horror movie The Possession. Well, guess what, everybody? Starting from a strong place because I've never heard of the Dybbuk box uh, or the horror movie. I feel like I've heard of The Possession. I've definitely never seen it. Horror movies are too scary for me. Like, I don't like seeing a horror movie in the cinema because it's never scary enough because you're just, it's the day, there's other people around, you're in a public space. You're like, I'm not going to get haunted right now. And I don't even believe in hauntings. But then again, I'm never going to watch a horror movie by myself alone at home because then it's way too scary. Like, I saw The Ring when I was a kid and after that I was like, no, a horror movie's too scary for me. <laughs> not into it. And I'm like, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in any of this stuff and I'm still like, they're coming for me. Like, I saw The Sixth Sense and as a kid I must have been like, 13 or 14 and i kept going into rooms and expecting to see like dead people hanging from the ceiling i was like oh why do you know anyway let's just jump into it do you know what the most haunted object in the world is we've heard of haunted houses by the dozen but specific haunted objects not so much what do you think it should be a murder weapon such as a knife, a creepy doll with an equally creepy story attached, some sort of book containing arcane knowledge and bound in human skin. Yes, definitely. I went to dinner with some friends the other day and I arrived like five minutes late because my bloody tram, like, they were read. It's not important why I was late. Generally, I'm always on time, so I like to make an excuse of why I was actually like five minutes late. Anyway, I arrive and uh, my mate's like, yeah, and then, and that's why the Horcruxes couldn't be destroyed. And I'm like, and he's like, yeah, we're just, I'm just explaining Harry Potter to my other mate and i'm like do you care about this and he's like no i don't know why he's explaining it to me and i was like i knew you didn't care i don't care no one cares except for the other dude who is explaining the horcruxes <laughs> well it's not as horrible as that in this episode we're going to be taking a look at the dibuk box allegedly the world's most haunted object and trace its journey from the ashes of the holocaust to becoming the jewel in the crown of a las vegas museum via a blockbuster horror movie while it might have entered the mainstream its power still has a hold on whoever owns it so whatever you do don't open the box i'd open the shit out of that box i'd go to that las vegas museum and they'd be like dare anybody open the box and i'd be like i'll do it i'll do it what do i get give me some like coupons for slot machines i'll do it because curses and haunted things are not real the last time i thought they were real i must have been like 11. there was i remember someone at school was like oh well yeah i'll put a curse on you and i'm like oh my god wait a curse is real i should look this up because <laughs> that's what you think when you're 11 and you're like because someone says it with just such conviction and it's like oh no that's not real <laughs> so okay good the Dybbuk. First things first, let's catch up on the history of the Dybbuk. This malevolent spirit springs from Jew Jewish mythology and can be traced back as far as the 16th century. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm so can't curse me at home right now being like, I curse you, Simon. Damn you to eternal hell. I'll be like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. I remember like years ago, someone sent me an email. It was just like, I get a lot of like, you know, a lot of fan mail. Thank you very much. Very occasionally people are like, you piece of shit. I'm going to eat your eyes. I mean, I, okay. 
And someone was like, look, I know you don't believe in this stuff, but I genuinely see that your life is going to take a turn for the worst and all of this. And I was reading that being like, please. And that was several years ago. And my life has gone awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> ah, because none of it's real. It likes to attach itself to living people and can be compared with demonic possession. Similarly, the dibber can be exercised out of a person or it can just leave of its own accord after finishing its evil deeds. The word dibber derives from a Hebrew word meaning to cling or to adhere, i.e. the dibber clings to its host and is not easily removed. It has also been said that dibbers are displaced souls of evil people who have not repented for their sins and want to finish whatever malicious deeds they had started prior to death. There have been a lot of references to Dybbuk's in plays, films, books, and there seems to be a sexual spin-off law where male Dybbuk's enter their brides-to-be on their wedding nights. That's where they enter through. <laughs> what the fuck? It ain't their nostrils, I'll tell you that much. No, it's not. We all know where it is. It's the eyes. Luckily, the story that we have for you today doesn't go, go into that territory, so let's find out more about this object, the Dybbuk box. Sound familiar? As I mentioned, Katie, it does not. But let's carry on. The Possession sounds familiar. Like, I feel like I've heard of that movie, for sure. I've never seen it. That's definitely a fact. This is a real item. You can go see it for yourself if you really want. It's on display at the Haunted Museum, run by Zag Bagan, ba Baggins in Las Vegas. More on him later. From the outside, it doesn't look too scary, but this wooden box has garnered a pretty troubling reputation. It's a small wine cabinet, i.e. a cabinet made to hold a few bottles of wine with two doors in front and a pull-out drawer below them. That sounds rather nice. That sounds nice. I'm decorating a house currently, just getting furniture and fur in and shit. And I'm like, that sounds good. I'd have a Dibbuk box. Like, just to store some wine in. And in that little drawer underneath, you could put like a bottle opener. A few of those little ceiling corks. Yeah, that'd be great. What's wrong with that? It has an inscription on in Hebrew on the back, and it's supposed to be haunted by a Dibbuk. If that sounds like classic horror movie fare, it's because this particular Dibbuk box comes with a rich history that even inspired its fictionalized blockbuster. The 2012 supernatural horror film The Possession uses the Dibbuk box as a main plot device, with a woman attempting to destroy it with a hammer at the beginning before looking like she suffers a stroke and is attacked by unseen forces. Later, the evil spirit latches onto a young girl and causes trouble and death to those around her before she saved by her exorcism she causes trouble and death it's like oh what are you doing causing a bit of trouble and killing the box in the movie doesn't look the same as the actual dibbuk box it's rectangular and more aesthetically pleasing than a small wine cabinet however multiple cast and crew including the director Ol borndale and co-producer sam Raimi of evil dead fame make references to the actual real life dibbuk box as inspiration for the film bornadol also mentions some bad luck that followed the film around such as all the sets unlit neon lights exploding and all the props being lost to a mysterious fire shortly after the film was finished honestly though that just sounds like marketing doesn't it it's like yeah i made this horror film turns out it's like if you're filming the blair witch project be like no it's all real <laughs> it's like but i know it's all real <laughs> you know it's just it's just nonsense you can immediately discount that because you know there's a motivation here money there's no doubt everyone was wary of ever seeing the real life object and when the owner at the time jason haxton offered to send it on they all politely declined i'll be like no jace you can send it let me have a look at that i want to open that wine cabinet i i I'm gonna have a little wine cabinet in my trailer on set. So what's going on, eh? Why do we keep referring to this thing as an actual and real Dibbuk box? Is it? I'm going to pull Zach Bagans to center stage now, but he doesn't mind. I think Zach loves it. Zach has been immersed in the world of the paranormal for many years, and as well as his museum of haunted stuff in Vegas, he has hosted or at least produced TV shows such as Ghost Adventures, Destination Fear, Paranormal Challenge. Really? 
<laughs> this is cringe. Help! My house is haunted! That's a real name of a TV show only in America. Although I think I could have workshopped a better title there. Yes, literally anything. Although, this, this, I say, I don't, I'm poking fun at America, right? But we have some truly awful TV shows in the UK as well. Like, there's literally a show about people who go to an island and I think they're not allowed to have sex with each other or they lose the game called Love Island. It's like, well done, create. Wait, do you have that in America as well? I get the feeling that did cross the pond, right? Uh, there was another one. Uh, when I was a kid, called Neighbors from Hell. And it was literally just about people being shitty neighbors. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Who watches this drivel? H how can you watch that when you've got so much quality content to consume on YouTube like this? He likes this ghosty stuff. He also had a show called Deadly Possessions where people bring him creepy stuff and he decides whether or not to buy it for his museum. The Dibbuk Box is the first item on the show. So it's kind of like <laughs> porn stars, but for, um... For haunted shit and p-a-w-n not porn stars like p-o-r-n youtube algorithm just to make that clear you smart enough to figure this out former owner jason axton tells bagans that the box had been kept buried in a military grade container deep in the woods on his missouri land for the last five years i remember someone left a comment on one of the videos ages ago years ago about military grade and they were like yeah military grade just means made by the lowest cost contractor that the government could find so it doesn't mean quality so oh yeah, it's always stuck with me so it had been kept in a in a lowest cost container deep in the woods on his missouri land for the last five years haxton has been plagued with illness weird pains and bleeding since he first took ownership of the box another previous owner kevin manis also brought onto the show he seems to be the first person to own the box after the original owner a holocaust survivor passed away we'll get into this in more detail later he said to give it to his mother as a gift but she opened it felt what she described as a rush of pure evil blow through her and consequently had a major stroke losing her speech and most of her vision bagans invites Man to reconnect with the box in his isolated basement room. Manis walks in, opens the doors of the box like it's nothing. Then he starts acting all weird, lurking in the shadows of the basement and reciting a long and creepy sounding poem in a deep voice with references to a shadow man. I hate all of this stuff. It's like the ghost hunters or whatever is like, or paranormal, whatever. And they're like, oh, we're going into this house. Oh, what was that sound? It's nothing. It's nothing. How can they spin so much content out of nothing? Bagan is going pretty bananas watching this and lights everywhere in the museum are also starting to flick on and flick off. Eventually, they get Manis to leave the room and a rabbi starts explaining about the box, but the more he attempts to rationalize the whole thing, the more Manis suddenly starts coughing uncontrollably. Eventually, Baggins concludes that Manis and Haxon are probably overly attached to the box. I watched the whole segment and didn't see anywhere that Bagans actually took the box, but it's in his museum now, so I guess he did. Let's get further into the backstory of this famous object though shall we the real history of the dibbuk box here's what it says on the haunted museum website shortly following its arrival mysterious protruding holes began to appear in the walls around the artifact as if someone was trying to break out from within the exhibit a las vegas marketing executive and bagans both witnessed a black cloak figure pass through the exhibit's closed door during a private tour this has also been seen by multiple guests and staff at the museum 
So far, so spooky, right? Bagans has also done a lot of research into the history of the Dybbuk box, which has been handily made into the last episode of Season 1 of The Haunted Museum. This episode has been rated a 7.2 on IMDb, which makes me want to reconsider my entire personal rating thresholds, but there you go. Yeah, 7.2, it should be good. But I guess it's because people who watch this shit are super into it. Like, it's a self-selecting crowd. No one's watching The Haunted Museum who isn't into haunted shit, are they? It's not like, I'm gonna watch The Haunted Museum and be like, this is garbage and give it a four. I'm never watching Haunted Museum in the first place. It's not like a major blockbuster that everyone's going to go and see and then rate. It's super self-selective. Want to find out the history of this haunted box? Well, there are a few major changes from the established narrative, but that's showbiz for you. Otherwise, this version seems very close to others that you can find, and I'll add some more details at the end. For now, though, let's go through it Bagan-style. It starts in the wee hours of October the 3rd, 2001, with an old lady on the floor in some sort of medical establishment in a pool of blood. A nurse, absorbed in whatever in her clipboard, fails to notice the only thing in an extremely long and otherwise totally empty corridor until she almost trips over her. Rewind three hours, and we see the old lady in bed. Obvious religious paraphernalia is around her. A large crucifix is on the wall, as is a picture of a nun. As the Dibbuk box is related to Jewish folklore, I'm not sure what any of this is doing there, but never mind. Yeah, I'm immediately like, wait, wasn't this a Holocaust survivor? <laughs> Statistically, likely to be a Jew. So, a crucifix? <laughs> Did they just see in this TV show? They just got some random props. Yeah, I need like generic religious props. Okay, well, here's a crucifix. This is a Buddha. And that's um the elephant dude from Hinduism. Just just throw them around the place. We'll be fine. The woman suddenly sees the doors of the Dybbuk box open. And after she turns on, a, on and off a lamp a few times, a dark shape tries to jump scare us from under the bed and from the shadow of an armchair until the woman presses her nurse call button. The figure vanishes and calm is momentarily restored, although the woman lies there getting increasingly terrified until there's a sudden jump cut to her smashing her face into a mirror. Luckily, I'd finished eating my chili dog by this point. I guess that explains how she then appeared dead in the corridor as the show then jumps to a house party scene three years later in 2004. Question. How do we know the backstory of the old woman's encounter if no one else was there? Did the Dibbuk box fill the nurse in on the story so she could later relay it to Zag Bagans? I'm getting the feeling some creative license with the truth may have been taken here. Yes. <laughs> what would make you think that? <laughs> oh, what nonsense. Carrying on, the creepy box is now just on the shelf at some young person's house, and in the aftermath of a party, one guy, Brad, wakes up to find his housemate, Derek, urinating in the corner of his room. Oh, classic Derek. Nice. I actually get really uncomfortable with the portrayal of men peeing on film. I have no idea why. I think it's just the sound. <laughs> I always find it satisfying because I'm like, ah, yes. Relieving oneself. Ah, what a joy. <laughs> anyway, when Brad flings his covers off, Derek has somehow disappeared, but there's a puddle of liquid in the corner. He goes to confront him, not noticing a shadowy figure in the hallway as he passes. Derek claims innocence of the whole affair and then asks what's happening to Brad's eyes. Guess what's happening to them? They're bleeding everywhere. So, so glad my chili dog was already gone. But the bath is then full of cockroaches. And that's the end of that bit. It's kind of weird. <laughs> How did this get a 7.2? Even if you're into the shimmers, be like, what? This doesn't make any sense. How did this with this? And it's like, oh, but then again, I guess people who watch The Haunted Mansion or whatever the fuck it's called don't give a shit about stuff making sense because they like stuff that doesn't make sense, like ghosts. Oh no, then it says part one, The Professor. 
This thing has multiple parts. Please send help. A youngish lecturer who we learn is called Jason, presumably based on Jason Haxton, is telling a tiny class about strange superstitions from ancient times. He holds up some form of stone amulet and says that the ancient Egyptians would wear this for days at a time as they believed it helped with digestion. Honestly, though. <laughs> I'm making fun of all of this, but that does sound like a video that I'd make on my channel side projects, like weird ancient superstitions, weird amulets the Egyptians used to wear, this kind of stuff. It always does banger views. <laughs> then he says, can you imagine wearing something like this today? For those reasons, you would be ridiculed. Uh, dude, have you never heard of like, what are those armbands that people wear for like balance or like magical healing crystals? And it's like, people aren't ridiculed enough, like not even close to enough. Like, not at all. They should be ridiculed all day. Uh, the dude has obviously never seen anyone wearing a crystal. Exactly. He dismisses the class and a figure who had been skulking at the brag brings the Dybbuk box for him to look at. Oh, it's Bleeding Eyes Brad from the last scene, so I guess we're still in 2004 and his eyes look okay though now. He tells the backstory of the box, says he bought it online despite the seller's warning that it was haunted as he thought it was a joke. <laughs> Where's he going? Going onto eBay and searching for haunted box. <laughs> When it arrived, everything changed. The professor looks inquisitively at him and asks, What changed? Ah, uh, hello? He just said everything. What, do you want him to be specific? My eyes started bleeding everywhere. The cockroach is in my bath. This professor, who was like, It'd be ridiculous to wear crystals. Why you bring it to him? He's obviously a skeptic. And be like, Mate, take your stupid box and get out of here. Come on now. Elaborating, the student says, Terrible, terrible things. One of our roommates got really sick. My eyes were bleeding. Well, we saw that bit. It didn't seem so bad. He washed it all off, and that was that. The cockroaches were a far bigger problem, if you ask me, but he didn't mention those. Maybe they just live in a particularly roachy area. <laughs> it's like, it shows a shot of the bath, like, overrun with cockroaches, and he's like, nah, it's got nothing to do with the box. That's just the bath. <laughs> There's always been cockroaches in this house. He then tried destroying the box, but something powerful kept holding him back. Oh, finally, something actually half bad happened. The housemates all took part in a dare to sleep with it one night in their own room and corner be Derek was found dead in the basement the next day lying on top of the box the official cause of death was given as a heart attack but brad doesn't believe this derek was only 19. he offloads the box on professor jason who after asking if he's on drugs sagely advises the student to speak to a counselor i like you professor jason it's like mate one have you are you on any psychoactive substances two do you have a carbon monoxide detector in your home because i've got a bag full of them here and you should take one the professor takes it home to study, and the camera pans behind it so he can see the Hebrew inscription on the back for the first time. His wife comes in, then immediately leaves again for a spin class. I would have just gone straight there. Also, I used to think spin classes involve literally spinning around, or maybe spinning hoops around your arms and waist is some sort of fat trimming exercise. It's cycling, right? It's uh, You do it on some sort of bicycle. When I found out what it really was, I was horrified. Wait, wait, what is spinning? What is... Oh God, is this some... Why are you horrified at this? Spin class. Maybe I've got it wrong. High intensity bicycle stuff. Well, okay. Is that so horrifying? <laughs> the prof pulls up a generic movie search engine and looks for information on Derek's death. Oh, generic movie search engine. Like, yeah, it's it's Google, but it can't be Google because they didn't get brand clearance on it, or whatever. So it's like Finder. <laughs> He actually types in mysterious death of Eric Thornhill and hilariously, so the suggestion comes up as he types it. 
<laughs> the professor sees a creepy figure against the curtains, or is his mind just playing tricks? Suddenly, a cockroach runs over his hands. That's gross. He hears, hears footsteps and weird sounds upstairs, so he goes to investigate, but it's pitch black up there, and he doesn't appear to have a light switch anywhere in his house. Oh no, he does have one, and he eventually uses it to go upstairs, but finds nothing. He then turns the light off as he comes back down. It's so dark up there, mate. No one would blame you for wanting to keep the light on. Oh no, the Dibbuck box is standing open on his table. There looks to be a small silver candlestick or maybe a goblet in there, plus a ripped bit of Hebrew on some white paper stuck to the back. He closes the box and looks around everywhere, except the direction of where a white, veiny hand is reaching out towards him. As soon as he touches it, however, it disappears. Oh my god, this all sounds so real. <laughs> Cut to his wife coming home from spin class, presumably. The professor is sitting at the staring at the TV, which is playing The Night of the Living Dead in a clip that's talking about murder. His wife just plops down on the opposite end of the sofa and starts watching too. No hello or anything. The camera angles start to infer that the professor may be about to attack her, but the scene ends again. Is Jason possessed by the Dibbuck? Rereading this, I don't watched the whole thing. There seems to be no need for this scene at all. <laughs> there seems to be no need for this whole TV show, Katie. Let's wise exist. We're now back in the professor's lecture hall where his wife calls him and asks him to come home, so I guess he didn't bludgeon her to death in front of one of the seminal horror films of the 1960s. When he gets back, she's acting really sick and her nose starts bleeding. <laughs> I'll be like, does anyone have a Geiger counter? We should check this box, because people seem to be just bleeding out of orifices. And then maybe there's some invisible rays that's like, oh no, it's really radioactive. It turns out there was that carbon 60 or whatever it is, tungsten. What's that super radioactive stuff that was just like, that just destroys people? This is a pretty tired trope of something not being quite right, but it's just a minor bleed not coming from her eyes or anything. The Reversa looks at the Dibbuck box suspiciously, but it's sitting there all innocent on the table again. Yeah, those things in movies where it's like, you know, you know something bad's happening. Like, in real life, you get a bloody nose. You're like, oh no, why have I got a nosebleed? In movies, it's always like, brain tumor. Brain tumor. Or like, something terrible's happening to his brain. There's aliens in his brain or something. Like, it's always like, when it's just like, blah, blah, blah. And then that trickle of blood runs down the, the, the the what's this bit called where the mustache goes not the cleft but like the bits that, look that part of it just drips down the nose and then it's like the guy's like oh <laughs> it's like oh no the professor looks at the dibbuck box suspiciously but it's sitting there all innocent and on the table again she doesn't want to call the doctor she just wants her husband to be home with her bit demanding she's fully dressed in a long sleeve blouse and work trousers and even wearing shiny shoes this is getting less believable by the second what sick person wears tight shoes inside the house anyway back to the small wooden wooden box that houses a demon that night professor jason wakes up and starts exploring the house again saying hello into the darkness as if a dibbuck was bronzed with a cheery hiya back cue shadows zipping past and scary music finally the dibbuck reveals itself as a long-haired bleeding-eyed waxy-skinned ghoul the professor's eyes start bleeding too and as the dibbuck reaches out he screams and wakes up oh, i hate dream sequences they're such a waste of time so far this has had two of my least favorite things in it dream sequences and peeing men <laughs> Back in class, the professor questions Brad about where he actually got the box from as he now believes it has supernatural powers. Just like that, he had a bad dream and my wife got bleedy eyes. <laughs> he's not like, maybe we should send this in for some sort of testing of some kind. Like, maybe there's a biological factor or the radiation, like I already mentioned. He's like, nope! Haunted. Definitely haunted. I'm convinced. 
we now head into part two the antique dealer and i'm hanging on by a thread we're zooming back in time three years so it's 2001 and the presumed antique dealer is wandering around checking out goods that have been put out in front of someone's house seemingly as some kind of estate sale as all the pieces look quite old and made of wood ah this antique dealer is based on our friend kevin manis he buys a stack of wooden boxes and chairs as a job lot and he doesn't notice what we now know of as the dibbuk box as part of it the woman running the sale notices though fails to mention he's just cheerily bought a malevolent spirit that might ruin his life and the lives of those around him back at his shop he finds it and puzzles over it for a minute before taking it to his mother as a birthday gift and guess who his mother is yes it's the old lady from the start of the story wow it's all coming together what brilliant storytelling <laughs> His mother describes the box as beautiful, even though it's got scratches on it, and basically is a wooden cabinet with two metal bunches of grapes stuck on the front. What's she going to do with that? I'd probably be hard-pressed to sound enthusiastic over receiving that bulky piece of tap from my own grown-up antique dealer son, but I guess she's acting the part of a better mother than me. It'd be like, oh, it's lovely, dear. <laughs> what a piece of shit. What, you got no taste. <laughs> Then there is a quick reminder of what happened to her face bashing into a mirror, etc. And then we join Kevin rushing back to the hospital as soon as he hears the news. Hang on, I take back my snarky comment from the start as she isn't actually dead. She's just had a stroke and is lying in bed without being able to speak. Kevin asks how she could have been in the hallway as <gasps> she hadn't been able to walk in over a year. His mum is able to write, so scrawls out, it was in the room with me. <laughs> when asked what it was, she scribbled evil kevin is still sitting there like a fool so he writes no gift and underlines it many times finally turning her eyes towards the dibbuk box she could have just pointed at it if you ask me did she mean that's no gift it's a curse or your sister didn't get me a gift can you believe it she could have been a bit clearer as her writing was totally fine kevin hastens back to the house that he bought the box from and the woman from the sale but it's like but she's like, ah, uh -uh, no takey backsies. But in a much more serious, frightened way, with her eyes showing that she obviously knows all about it and has many things to hide. In a twist, she actually ends up running after him to tell him her experience with the box when she was younger. We know she was younger as it's the same actress, but now her hair is in two plaits. She opened the door into a room where her grandma was sitting alone, but our girl was sure that she heard voices and saw someone as she opened the door. Her grandma poo-poos her crazy notions and asks for another cup of tea, including her cup, indicating her cup, which is inconveniently far away from her on a little desk, along with some photographs. And guess what? The Dibbuk box. The girl starts to ask a question about it but her grandma yells at her not to touch it go near it indefinitely to never open it why did she put her cup right by it then back in the present the girl tells kevin that her grandmother was a polish holocaust survivor but back before the nazis had taken over her grandmother and friends had started trying rituals to evoke spirits to help them against the rise of the nazi tide that sounds useful <laughs> at some point they accidentally succeeded in calling one that was pure evil eventually the group took all of their knowledge and managed to trap the demon into 10 separate boxes which they scattered all over the world the first box was the most powerful one which is the one poor old kevin bought without realizing apparently the grandmother was the custodian of the box and wanted to be buried with it is this, this has got to all be made up right some dude who's got a museum he's like cool i found this random ass wine box i'm gonna make a tv show about it that purports it to be real then i'll put it in my museum and we'll double dip on that money because people will buy the tv show and then they'll come and see it in my museum it's brilliant well done whatever your name was apparently the grandmother was the custodian of the box and wanted to be buried with it why would you not fulfill an old lady's dying wish 
Now do you see all the trouble it's caused? This is not in line with Jewish burial customs, though, so maybe I'll cut them a break. The professor, Jason, finally meets up with the antique dealer, Kevin, who presumably tells him the backstory and finishes by saying that Jason needs to get the box out of his house. The professor goes back home, where his wife is having the world's worst migraine, her hair is coming out, and she finally vomits all over the floor. They see a doctor who is almost no help whatsoever, saying the wife is as healthy as can be, after looking in her throat, taking her blood pressure, and feeling her neck. Done. Medical checkup complete. There's nothing wrong with you, doctor. My hair's falling out. Yeah. Must be stress. <laughs> Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Back at home, she goes to bed while the professor heads outside with the Dybbuk box in one hand and an axe in the other. Oh yes, he's finally going to go medieval on that thing, but guess what? He's grunting, he's straining, but that axe just ain't swinging. It's like some sort of invisible power is holding him back. Eventually, the axe falls behind him with an anticlimactic plop into the grass. He falls to his hands and knees, but when the camera pans around the box, it's lying open on the ground. Has the Dybbuk done a runner? The next scene is of the professor taking the box to a local synagogue. Oh no, now it's part three. The rabbi, oh my god, Katie, god bless you for watching this garbage. Strap in everyone, what's going to happen now? In case we hadn't realized that this was a Jewish house of worship, the camera lingers on things like the Star of David, so we really know where we are. Yeah, I guess they just uh, forgot about that when shooting the scene in the hospital with the generic Christian imagery. The professor begs a rabbi inside to take a look at the box, but the guy's quite rude and tells him that he can't help him as prayers are about to start. The professor asks as if he at least heard of the Dybbuk box. Cue an old bearded rabbi with his head draped in prayer shawl, basically saying, A Dybbuk, you say? Come this way. The older rabbi then starts reading the inscription on the back of the box, with the younger rabbi translating as, Here, O Israel, Hashem is our Lord, Hashem is the One. Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. I was wondering if Hashem was some sort of demonic thing, but apparently it's commonly used by Jews to refer to God and translates as the name. Oops-a-daisy. So, this particular inscription is just part of a normal prayer recitation and not evil or supernatural in any way. The old rabbi then just opens up the box as casual as he like and takes a load of stuff that we've never seen before, such as old coins, small coils of cut hair, and quite a large ornamental stone thing with more Hebrew carved into it. I guess the Dibbuk had exited the box at the professor's house then. It is confirmed by the rabbi that the spirit that has attached itself to the box is pure evil and called a Dibbuk. Tell us something we don't know, Grandpa. Jason then asks for more information on what a Dibbuk actually is, like he couldn't have put that into a weirdly worded search engine request from the start. And here's what the rabbi says. When a person commits a great crime, such as murder, but dies before they get a chance to repent for their sin, their evil spirit is displaced and remains on earth. These spirits that are destined to hang in limbo are known as a Dibbuk. It takes someone who is only an expert in Jewish mysticism or the Kabbalah to be able to trap one of these spirits in an item such as this. A Dibbuk is a devouring parasite. They have one purpose and one only, to cause pain. Anyone who comes into contact with a box containing one of these spirits falls victim to the evil within it. No one is spared, not even us. There is no destroying it. The professor is then advised to look to the Holy Book of Exodus. He's then supposed to, number one, wrap the box in gold leaf. 
Is this the whole box we're talking about? That's not going to be cheap. Oh, it will actually. It won't be that expensive. Gold leaf, surprisingly cheap because it's so incredibly thin. Number two, encase it in acacia wood. By this point, I think I'd have just resigned myself to a lifetime of pain. Number three, bury it deep in the ground. This will then free everyone who has come into contact with its influence. Honestly, that sounds quite easy. Like, I'm obviously taking it out of the garden and smashing it in with an axe is hard, but just pop onto Amazon, get some gold leaf, get some acacia wood, boom, you can be done in an afternoon. Bury it in the ground deep easy just go outside and dig a hole for an afternoon so another question comes up why didn't the jewish grandmother do this ages ago if she was so into mysticism that she managed to summon a spirit in the first place surely she would have known how to get rid of it too now it's up to this poor schmo and his low-paid teaching dog to do all of the hard work the rabbis then say that the box made its way to the professor for a reason and that he needs to be the one to free everyone from it and he has to do it now I'd argue that the box has now made its way to the rabbis, who clearly have far greater knowledge of this thing than the professor, but I guess they just want to get shot of it as fast as possible. Does anyone know where you can purchase large amounts of gold leaf and some acacia wood? Yes, Katie, Amazon! <laughs> you can buy anything on Amazon! The professor races to his lecture room and starts trashing his desk, maybe trying to find that pile of gold leaf that he hid there after the last work due, or maybe his desk drawers are made of acacia wood, so he's breaking them down into easily workable pieces. Hey, I might have been right, as he gathers up some wooden boards and heads for home. Meanwhile, he and his wife have been unsuccessfully trying to get in touch with each other, and she's lying in bed with ominous music playing around her as what looks like a closet door creaks open in the background. The professor reaches home and puts the Dibbuk box on the floor with the stack of wood, and then climbs the stairs, warily calling out his wife's name. She's still just chilling out in bed, looking pretty ropey, but not particularly worse than she has been. The professor then grabs a giant ornamental fan they have on the wall, and guess what? It's covered in what he hopes is real gold leaf. Well, how is he going to get that gold leaf off? Like, gold leaf, you have to apply it, and then it kind of stays on there. You can't just go into, like, some church and start peeling the gold leaf off. That's going to be a disaster. Wow, he had what I thought were rare items at his fingertips this whole time. What are the chances? He wraps the box in the material from the fan and the nail and nails the plank from his acacia wood desk to it. I hope the spirit is actually in residence at this time or else this is all totally pointless. Uh-oh, before he nails the final plank in place, he starts getting a weird feeling and we hear creaking on the stairs. Oh my god, he's then flung across the room by an unforeseen force and the hammer clatters to the floor. Something invisible seems to be holding his legs as he tries to pull himself toward the hammer, but he makes it. Just before hammering the last plank in, he sees the dark figure of the Dibbuk in front of him. He switches out the hammer for a flashlight and ex that happens to be lying on the ground, and we are treated to a proper, if brief, look at the Dibbuk. It looks like a woman with long dark hair, completely white eyes, and waxy white skin covered in black cracks. It seems frozen in the torchlight, but as the professor valiantly drives the final nail home, it screams and rushes towards him. He flings his hands up to protect himself, but she's disappeared, presumably trapped inside the box, although I don't know how she could have got back in, what with it all being wrapped up and all. In the next scene, his wife seems to be fully recovered, and they both look at the box that he has standing on a table. Hurry up and bury it, Professor. Bury it. In a postscript it says, For years, the Professor refused to tell anyone where he buried the Dibbuk box. In 2016, it was dug up and brought to Zach's museum, where it is now on display. This is just all made up, isn't it? It then shows the box on full display in a glass case, not wrapped in gold leaf or anything. <laughs> Zach, what are you doing? At the start of the episode, Zach Baggins said he felt compelled to touch it one night, and a dark power surged through his body, and, quote, a dark power surged through my body, and it was, quite simply, one of the most terrifying moments of my life. 
Wow, touching wood gave Zach Baggins the creeps. Anyway, this sums up the history of the Dybbuk box, the maladies and the pain that befell its owners, and also introduces Jason Haxton and Kevin Manis into the story. These two seem quite the characters, so let's take a further look into their histories with the box. Kevin Manis seems to have introduced the box to the wider world, having bought it from the creator, so let's start with his story. I wonder how much of this is actually like it's just so loosely based on facts right so incredibly loosely kevin bought the box in an estate sale and put it on ebay after trying and failing to return it to its previous household on the listing he detailed the origin of the dibbuk box saying it had come from a holocaust survivor who had then bought the wine cabinet in spain after escaping a concentration camp before later migrating to the united states the woman's granddaughter had told him there was supposedly a dibbuk in the box and she had never been allowed or wanted to open it manis tried returning the box on the spot but she was having none of it as soon as she took ownership of it bad things started to happen to manis his store was trashed with all the light bulbs in the basement exploding his mother who had been in fine health had a stroke five minutes after looking at the box in his store after regaining slight motor control she managed to spell out no gift and hate gift until manis finally got the picture and took the box back to his house that same day the lease to his store was terminated with no notice he and his girlfriend were plagued with nightmares and he and visitors to his house kept seeing shadowy figures at the edges of their vision again gotta check that smoke detector manis uh carbon monoxide detector in his ebay listing manis said that he would have destroyed the box but didn't know the force that he was messing with and didn't want to make a bad situation worse he sold it with all the original contents which he listed as quote one 1928 us wheat penny one 1925 us wheat penny one small lock of blonde hair bound with string one small lock of black brown hair bound with string one small granite statue engraved and gilded with hebrew letters i've been told that the letters spell out the word shalom one dried rosebud one golden wine cup and one very strange black cast iron candlestick holder with octopus legs what a weird collection of trinkets the listing gathered quite a lot of attention but people were dubious about actually owning the divok box and a college student named Arsif Nitsky ended up being the highest bidder at 140 dollars which is 230 dollars today not long after Nitsky bought the box however it ended up on ebay again under the heading dibuk haunted jewish wine cabinet box <laughs> it's the most ebay title ever isn't it in this listing which ties into brad's story in the tv show the temporary new owner said that while they were skeptical about the box being haunted and they did not believe in paranormal things weird stuff had definitely happened since they bought the box he lived with six other people and they all took turns to have the box in their rooms subsequently the other students started complaining of burning eyes or feeling listless and sick electronic devices started dying every day in the house saw an increase in rodents and bugs the seller pointedly states that he didn't want to talk about the things that had happened between a certain time frame but is now selling the box for even more reasons such as having trouble sleeping seeing vertical blurs in his peripheral vision having light bulbs constantly burn out smelling strange smells and losing his hair in large amounts he ends by saying that he has received so much correspondence about the box since originally buying it he thought someone else might want it in february 2004 it sold to jason haxton for 280 dollars which is about 450 dollars today haxton seems to be the main force in pushing this dibbuk box story selling or donating it to baggins and also writing a book on the story called guess what the dibbuk box it was published in 2011 a year before the possession movie came out i haven't read it but apparently it does not come right out and say whether haxton thinks this is real or is a hoax ending up with an annoying what do you think type of conclusion oh and don't worry we won't be having a what do you think conclusion on today's video the answer is no it's not haunted and if you think it is you're a bit silly
Haxton also launched a website called dibbuckbox.com, which sets out the story as per Kevin Manis' original eBay post, and also under the research tab shows a team making an exact replica of the Dibbuck box. What? Has Haxton diddled Baggins and kept the actual box for himself? Kenny Biddle of the Skeptical Inquirer has the same question after discovering that at least one copy of the box existed, but by examining the one on display at the Haunted Museum, he was satisfied that while a copy was used for filming the handover episode, it was the original box on display in Las Vegas. So, I suppose now it's time to get to the crux of the matter. Is the Dibbuck box actually a haunted item? Despite all the many examples of bad luck that have befallen owners of the box and its comprehensive backstory, there are many who remain skeptical that the wine cabinet does indeed house a trapped spirit. Oh, I wonder why that would be, Casey. Maybe because someone just made up this entire story so that they have something in a museum, allegedly, in my opinion. As it's now trapped behind glass and Zach Bagans never opens it, we can't do any real tests to see what might be in there. Some people have scoffed at the fact that there's actually a Dibbuk inside, as these demons attach themselves to people, not wooden boxes. I'm skeptical because Dibbuks aren't real. Demons aren't real. I refute this, however, as the backstory clearly explains that this cabinet was used to trap a part of a much larger evil spirit, so it is a prison the Dibbuk is tied to rather than being a chosen host. But there is one much more substantive piece of evidence that we've been dancing around for however long that is. Kevin Manis has admitted to creating the entire story himself. Oh, he has, has he? <clears throat> I mean, I guess it, sh it should be shocking because mostly people like to keep these stories spinning because, as I always say, money. The first admission found came from a 2015 post on a Facebook page in response to a piece that a paranormal investigative show called Haunt Me had done about a Dibbuk box found at a high school. Manis wrote, quote, I have to call bullshit on the episode Haunt Me Did at Mexico High School with a supposed Dibbuk box. The setup and definition of a Dibbuk box was entirely false and erroneous, and the claim that the box had so-called fifth-level demon inside was also a bunch of hogwash. I am complete. I am uniquely qualified to make these claims, as I am the original creator of the story of the Dibbuk box, which appeared as one of, on one of my eBay posts back in 2003. The idea that Dibbuk boxes have some kind of history prior to my story, and the idea that Dibbuk box could contain anything other than a Dibbuk, along with any deviation to the type of contents I created to be found inside a Dibbuk box is laughable at best. How about this? If you or anyone else can find any reference to a Dibbuk box anywhere in history prior to my eBay post, I'll pay you $100,000 and tattoo your name on my forehead. Bottom line, I applaud your reference to my work, but use your own creativity to come up with something for your show and leave my practice of Kabbalah and my intellectual property alone. <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. Ouch. Scathing blow there from Manners. And who knew that the Dibbuk box was trademarked in? I doubt it could be seen as intellectual property if subsequent people such as Kevin Haxton used it to make money on boots, etc. and weren't sued by Manus unless he was also getting a cut. Both Manus and Haxton are listed as production consultants in the crew of the possession, even though Manus had sold the box many years earlier and there had been at least one other owner in between, unless Arsif Nitsky was a Manus alter ego, which I wouldn't put past him. Wow, so it was all just at the beginning. It was just a... Just a joke by a guy selling shit on eBay. <laughs> People are so stupid! It does seem that while he's more than happy to have his original creation out there permeating the public consciousness for 20 years now, he doesn't like it when other people scab off his work. The confession, it'd be like, Simon, I'm very angry that you made this whole episode about it. I'd be like, okay. You can be very angry all you want. <laughs> it's like, it's my idea. I should have made videos. And it's like, okay, make a video. I don't care, bro. Just chill. 
Nah, God, it's so ridiculous. The confession was made in October 2015, and the Deadly Possessions episode where he appears with Haxton Ed in 2016, so it's possible that it had already been filmed before he made the admission. Remember the weird voice and poem he recited in the basement during that show? I've googled some of the lines I could make out, which is how I found Kenny Biddle's article in the first place. He had also been interested in what Manus had been sprouting, and eventually found his page on broadjam.com, where people can upload songs and vocal performances. And guess what? In 2012, Manis had uploaded a file tagged as a spoken word slash poetry called The Shadow Man Part 1, which is exactly what he'd been reciting in the Deadly Possessions episode. He was not possessed by a mysterious demon from Jewish folklore. He was advertising his own work. It's still on the Broad Jam site under Kevin Manis's name, and you can download it for 99 cents if you're so inclined. In his bio, it states, He is best known as the original author and creator of the iconic Dybbuk Box. So yes, the cat is well and truly out of the bag now. Manus officially came clean to a much wider audience with an interview for Input in July 2021. When Charles Moss spoke with him, Manus confirmed that a Dybbuk box wasn't something that ever really existed in Jewish folklore, he'd just made it up. He bought the wine cabinet at an estate sale, but it didn't come from a Holocaust survivor's family, but just that of a run-of-the-mill attorney. His aim with creating the Dybbuk box narrative, he told Moss, was for it to become an interactive horror story in real time. So this guy's like, it's just an OG creepypasta, basically. He carved the pear onto the box and got hair from friends to put inside. While he made up most of the rest of the backstory too, Manus did confirm that his mother had a stroke after receiving the box on Halloween. This, while sad, was just a coincidence. He also refuted being partners of crime with Jason Haxton and seemed rather aggrieved in general that Haxton had managed to get a book out of his creation when all he had really had was a long, creepy eBay post. He made another appearance on a Zag Baggins show, Ghost Adventures Quarantine, but I'd watched enough about this by then and Manus's aim was to keep the story going by reminding people about the remaining Dibbuk boxes still left in the world. If you recall, the original evil spirit was split into ten pieces. He also mentioned the Shadow Man recital he gave in Deadly Possessions in the art in the input article, saying he was just practicing it as he'd been down in the basement and hadn't heard from any of the crew for a while, so he didn't know if they were filming or not. He was giving a spoken word performance in the next few days, so he started reciting his piece while he waited. Mouse contacted Bagans after Manus confessed to him, but Bagans would not commit to conceding that it was all a hoax. He emailed Moss to say, quote, Since owning the Dybbuk box, there have been countless documented experience people have had with it, not just from myself, but from but my museum staff, my fellow crew members, visitors, and most notably, Post Malone. I think there is much more to the Dybbuk box, and regardless of its origins, it is very much cursed and evil. I'm not surprised that more controversy and conflict keep arising from it. The Dybbuk box has always raised questions and intrigue, and this adds to its narrative. There is more to this powerful cursed item. Its story is still being told. <laughs> wow, Bagans is one powerful spin doctor. Yes, well, of course. He's like, yeah, no, well, of course there's stuff to it. Because he's already paid for it. He's got like a whole museum. People are coming to see this thing. Even though some guy literally admitted that it's just a creepypasta that he made up on the internet. Crazy times. If you're wondering about that reference to Post Malone, the rapper accompanied Bagans to see the Dibbuk box, and Bagans touched it with Post Malone, merely touching Bagans' arm at the same time. This was apparently enough to curse the rapper. However, with his plane making an emergency landing, gun-wielding robbers breaking into his house, and he was then in a car crash all within a couple of weeks of visiting the supposedly haunted item, well, that's really just some bad luck. Yeah, I mean, it's also like, how bad's Post Malone's luck? Literally in there, it's got the word, his plane. Poor Post Malone. <laughs> oh no, your plane had to make an emergency landing. <laughs> you know how many times my planes made an emergency landing? None, because I don't have my own plane yet. 
yet. It isn't haunted though, it's just made up- it's just a made up box with a made up story. It isn't even a wine cabinet. Kenny Biddle of the Skeptical Inquirer started looking for similar items and found the exact one. A liquor bar cabinet structure by a company called Robert B. Carruff of New York. Hilariously, Biddle writes, Despite what various owners would have us think, the infamous Dibbock box is not a Jewish wine cabinet from Spain, but instead it's a mini bar from New York. Biddle treated himself to his own box and stocked it up with the appropriate glassware and bottles. In a caption showing in front of his minibar, he writes, My typical box actually has spirits in it. I call them rum and vodka. If anyone has one of these, I'll buy it off you. <laughs> Send me a message. I want a Dibbock box. I want my own. I will call your attention to the Decoding the Unknown episode on James Dean's Cursed Car. I can't believe I've done an entire script on this now, as in that episode, the Haunted Museum came up and I made a brief reference to what Bangans was calling the most haunted object in the world. I then said, don't request an episode on this though, because I looked at it and guess what, someone just made it up. And hey, if you want to pay $48 look at a fake haunted wine cabinet, then that's up to you. I totally don't remember that at all. I was just like the Dimmo box. Like, I don't know where I found this. Probably just like... <laughs> asking ChatGPT about what to cover. <laughs> it's like the Dibbuk box. Turns out it's just nonsense. Much like what ChatGPT will sometimes spout at me. Seems like I summed it up pretty well in one sentence, but hey, it was in the list of what Simon wants and what Simon wants Simon gets. You're damn right. Also update, that was from an episode written in November 2022. General admissions to the Haunted Museum is now a whopping $54. Who the fuck is paying $54 to go and see this? So, there we go. I guess Manus started it, Haxton ran with it, and now Bagans is stuck with whatever anyone and everyone knows. There's an old minibar filled with useless junk. But I doubt he'll stop making shows about it. At $54 a bob to enter his haunted museum to view a fake haunted wine cabinet, he's the one who really became the master of the Dibbock box. Yes, he did. Respect. That's some business savvy right there, and he knows it's nonsense. You know he knows it's nonsense. He's a businessman. He's just like, let's make some money! Thanks for watching. Oh, if you like this show, leave a review on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe. See you next time. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.